Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. It is Thursday the 16th of September. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. I'm your host this week, Dan Club, and I'm joined as ever by my trusty co-host, Dave Comerford. So I'll check in with Dave first. How are we and how did you enjoy last night? Oh, it was, it was brilliant, I think. The Champions League is just so special. Um, you know, the level of excitement that you feel, the atmosphere, and to have supporters back really makes you realise that it was a bit of a, as football was generally, a, a pale imitation last season. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's the main sense I got walking away. I was lucky enough to be there last night and walking away from the game, there was definitely a sense of, God, last season really was, you know, I don't want to say dire, that might be a little bit of extreme, but it wasn't what we all fell in love with, as we all knew, but last night definitely felt like that. Um, our guest this week, we're very lucky to have Favel Keeling, um, an orphan writer for Empire of the Cop. Um, Favel, same questions to you, mate. Thanks for joining us for a start, but how are you doing? And last night, how much did you enjoy it? Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, no, I think, as you've both rightly pointed out, having fans back is just... I mean, there's no two way around it. It's a huge, huge plus. And what a game to have the fans mm. out. You've got two massive Champions League sides. I mean, let's be honest, the competition has greatly missed AC Milan. You know, not just, yeah. just for the fan base. It's a club with great history. It's the most successful Italian club in Europe against the most successful um, English club in Europe as well. So it, it was, it was always going to be that sort of brilliant sort of instant classic you know, but this is a team we've, we've met only in finals, so mm. I think just yeah, just a great occasion and evidently, of course, a great match. Five goals, um, a fantastic start to the Champions League. A little, little bit of a more perhaps rocky start than perhaps many many of us anticipated, but uh, yeah, a great Champions League game. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, and just want to mention their fans, actually. You're right to bring up you know, the size of the club, but their fans were actually outstanding last night for... The few of them that managed to travel over, I'm not sure whether that was due to you know travel restrictions or ticket restrictions necessarily, but for the main, they conducted themselves really well. You know, after you'll never walk alone, they were really sort of gracious, applauding, and I think they were actually decent. So credit to them. Um, before we go into the match a little bit deeper, um, we've got to do this week's Who Am I? Um, which is the part of the show where we look back, well few questions on an ex-player or former player, but usually ex, um, and the lads guess who it is. Um, so jump in when you think you know. Quite a topical one this week, so bear that in mind. Um, this player was signed um, for £5 million on the 9th of July 2003. He made his Liverpool debut on the 17th of August in the same year. He made his last appearance for Liverpool on the 16th of February 2008. He won the FA Cup in 2006 and he was part of the Champions League 2005 winning side. And now we're getting to where it gets a little bit easier, potentially. So for Liverpool, he played 139 games, scored 16 goals. His other clubs include Leeds United, Galatasaray, Melbourne Victory, Melbourne Heart, and we signed him from Leeds. He is Australian. Harry Keel. Thank took, you. Took too long. <laughs> took too long. <laughs> took too long. As soon as I said Melbourne, I thought you'd have been all over it. 
Yeah. Oh my it's god. It's early. It's early. <laughs> it is early. I'll give you that. We are recording early this week. Um, but yeah, Javi Kuhl, um, like I say, part of that 2005 AC Milan winning side. So yeah, we'll move on to um, three-word match review time. Um, I'll kick us off this week. I've gone with, it could have been more centred on the actual match action, but I have gone with those European nights, um, just for all the things we kind of highlighted um, in the build-up there. I think it was a proper two European giants going at it. And they really did go at it. You know, I thought we were dominant for half an hour or so, but credit to AC Milan, they stuck in um, and they hit us before half time, didn't they? So, Farrell, I'll come to you for your three word match review. Oof. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go with uh, an intoxicating affair. I just think it'd be right to sort of highlight, particularly as, as you've rightly mentioned, the fan bases. Um, just a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere. I think even Klopp said he struggled getting out match instructions to the lads just before the goals from AC Milan mm. came, uh, specifically because of the atmosphere. Um, so I have to give credit to that. And it was not, yeah, just the atmosphere was brilliant. And also I think that the players really bought into that. And it was frantic at times, which I think is something Klopp alluded to before half-time as well. But um, Dave, I'll come to you. Yeah, I went with um, a good omen. Because obviously the last time we won our opening group match three uh, two at Anfield, um, it did sort of kickstart the campaign where we went on to win the competition. So I also think that applies in in the sense that it was a you know really really good performance for mm. 80, 85 minutes. I think you know you look at that spell at the end of the half. I wouldn't be too worried about it in the sense that I think it'll kind of make clear to, to clap that. You probably need Van Dijk to be starting, even when you are rotating the centre backs when you've got, you know, a big game and, and a tough opponent. So, and I don't think that happens with Van Dijk because you saw that the organisation, the defence wasn't really there. But you know, for the most part, really, really good performance. I mean, the level of counter pressing was was outstanding. You know, we absolutely suffocated them for long periods of the game. You know, there was a bit of a barrage on their goal. Mm. Yeah, that was it. Was really. Was breathtaking at points to be honest. Um, and it kind of another game that just reinforces that you know Liverpool are kind of back after looking unrecognizable for these reasons last season. Yeah, definitely. It felt a little bit to me like somewhat of a throwback to the early years um under Klopp, whereby it was that heavy metal football that he liked to play. Um, and it did feel a little bit we should have put it to bed earlier than we did. Obviously, Salah missed the penalty. We had chances to probably be two or three up, I reckon, by the time they even had any sort of a foothold in the game. Um, I'll come to you, Favel, on more of a general assessment of the match. Um, obviously, Dave mentioned there sort of the switch off and disorganisation before half-time. But what do you put that down to? Do you think it's a Van Dijk thing? And also, the second half comeback from Liverpool, please. Yeah, I, th- I think... It's definitely partly Van Dijk. I mean, we saw this over the course of last season with that long-term injury. Um, you know, you're going to when you lose a player of that calibre, it's going to have an impact on the pitch, regardless of who you are. Um, obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I, de- I definitely think that sort of absence played a role in at least one of the goals we conceded. I feel like um, an element of sort of the, the organisation, perhaps leadership, rather, was missing that would have at least prevented one of those um, equalising sort of efforts. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think 
you have to also remember, I think, I think, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say we underestimated AC Milan, but they, they are a, a decent side. You know, they've won, I think they had a perfect start in Serie A this year. You know, they've got a good manager in Stefano Pioli. Like, the, the, it was always going to be, I mean, just, just because of the calibre, I suppose, of, of, of the night, the, you know, the nature Champions League game, you know, it, it was always going to get, it's always going to be a game that both sides were going to take very seriously. Um, so I, d- I definitely think it was a sort of a multitude of factors that sort of played into it rather than just simply blaming sort of Van Dijk's absence. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, to me, it looked like, obviously, I haven't, I haven't actually had a chance to watch the game back yet. To me, it just felt like we were hit by our over-enthusiasm more than like a lack of actual, maybe an individual ever, nothing like that. It just felt like we were so gung-ho and we thought we were going to get the second before half-time that there two moments of quality if you like in the first half hurdles but yeah I mean Van Dijk probably does organise things better at the back than, than anyone that was there last night so maybe with him it might have been a different story but yeah great comeback and um, great victory and yeah we were pretty good in the main I'd say so positives to take and um, one of the main positives and um, someone who's getting a lot of plaudits this morning um, was Fabinho so, Dave, I know you were particularly keen to talk about him, so I'll come to you first. Um, how good was he? And do you think that was one of his best Liverpool performances? You know, it's funny. Um, I was looking on Twitter this morning and Rebecca Tavares seems to reply to every major account when they ask who, who was man of the match and just say, you know, Fabinho, you know, which is uh, being very supportive of her husband, but it's more than justified. Um after yesterday, I thought it was an amazing performance for him, to be honest. Like, he was the best player for us against Leeds. But this, you know, this was another level. To throw some stats at you, you know, six tackles, four interceptions, one eight out of 11 duels. And he even created two chances as well. Like, he was, he was progressing the play um, at certain moments. So, yeah, it was just a complete number six performance. And I, the reason I, you know suggested the question about whether it was one of his best performances. I, I can't really think of of many better, to be honest, against, as far as alluded to, their quality opponents. Um, I thought he was just winning basically every every back. Um, and yeah, just another one of those games where you realise how fortunate we are to have someone who's just a, just a specialist in, in their position. Um, and yeah, man of the match again by far. Yeah, it, it certainly looked like that. I think, like I touched upon there, everyone was kind of flying forward and trying to make things happen. And obviously Fabinho found time to do that himself, but it was so important to have someone of his level, you know, mopping things up at the back for the most part when we were getting caught on the ball or we were giving it away. So, yeah, I thought it was outstanding as well. Um, his stats obviously brilliant. And I think it was interesting that he came up against Frank Kessie, who's someone we've been tentatively linked with recently and a kind of a similar sort of role. Um, and it's pretty obvious who got the better of that duel last night. Um, but Farrell, I'll come to you on the same sort of question, really. Do you, how much do you rate Fabinho? Do you think he's the best in the world, I suppose? And was that one of his better outings for the Reds? In his position on his day, I'd say for me, yeah, he's, he's the best in his position in the world on his day. I think just, I mean... we. <laughs> It was so clear just last, you know, last season alone, you know, obviously the, the, the massive loss everyone pointed to was Van Dijk, but pulling Fabinho into the central defence for large portions of the season meant a massive loss in midfield. And just, you know, last night and obviously over the course of the season, we saw in, in Leeds, as you rightly pointed out, you know, it, it was just 
a force to be reckoned with, just, you know, always getting in the right places, you know, those constant interruptions, those interventions um, in the middle of the pitch. And I think you could almost, you can almost see that Klopp clearly felt confident not playing Van Dijk to a certain degree because he had Fabinho, you know, screening ahead of the back four, which obviously speaks volumes about how highly Klopp rates him. But I think you'd be, you know, you'd be daft not to rate Fabinho. You know, bias aside, you know, he's so clearly sort of far ahead in his position. You know, he's, he's undoubtedly a you know, world-class professional. And uh, I think potentially, well, absolutely, the scoreline definitely doesn't do justice to the work he did um, in that match against Ace Milan. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think he was probably unlucky to be on the side that conceded too. And he looked at how well he performed. Um, but yeah, I think you're dead right to mention last season. It's something I spoke about a lot on here. Um, although we've obviously completely bereft of centre-back options. And Fabinho is probably one of the better ones we had left. So I can understand why we kept playing him there. But every week on here, I was saying we need to get him back in midfield. Because as much as, you know, like I say, he was a good centre-half, his work in midfield would make any centre-half look 10 times better that was behind him. Because not as much gets to them. So, yeah, I was banging that drum for, for a longer period last season and eventually obviously landed on something that worked, which means we're in the Champions League. Um, another, I suppose, from a certain starter um, and one of the best in the world in his position to a bit of a surprise starter last night, Divock Origi. I certainly did not see that coming, um, especially considering he's been out of the squads in the most part recently. Um, Farrell, I'll come to you again. Um I suppose how surprised were you to see him in the starting lineup? But I must admit, I was really impressed. I thought he worked hard. I thought his quality was good on the ball. Um, and I think certainly in the first half an hour, he made things happen and looked really quite dangerous. So, how encouraged can we be by that little outing from him? Yeah, no, I think you're on the money there, Dan. Like, I mean, you could you could just hear from the Anfield crowd. You know, I think you're gonna, his name was sung for probably the vast majority of the match. Um, but yeah, just a constant thorn in um, Milan's side. You know, it seemed like almost every corner we were winning was as either as a direct or indirect result of Origi's influence. You know, the finishing was a was it was a bit off, but then you almost have to expect that for a player who you know is sort of rarely used. I think that was his actual first start for Liverpool. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Since uh, West Ham in the league last season, so th- there is going to be that element of rustiness. But he was, you know, just. A constant thorn, as I say, bagged that crucial assist for uh, Salah's equaliser, which was, you know, fantastic chip ball. So I think a, a really, it's an encouraging performance, and especially in, you know, in the game of that magnitude. You know, it's it, Klopp said in the press afterwards, it's amazing how in the footballing world people are quick to forget the importance of certain players. And, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I think a lot of Liverpool fans are, are probably guilty of that as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, as I say, it's, it's encouraging. It's what you want to see from our backup options because I think that th- those kind of involvements are going to be crucial throughout the length of the season, you know, provided there aren't any major injuries. Yeah, they certainly are. That's, that's my main takeaway from his performance, to be honest with you. Not so much, I think, oh, he's got to start this game or he's got to start that game, but having the likes of Origi and Minamino, obviously we didn't see him last night, but you know, ready and willing to come in and do a job to that level, I think so important. Whether it be off the bench or starting certain games, I think it's really crucial. And fair play to him, I was really impressed. I really was. I didn't quite know what to expect. 
But that was one of his best performances for quite a long time, in my opinion. So, Dave, I'll get your opinion on Origi. He's someone who polarises opinion, if we're honest. But, yeah, what, what were your thoughts last night? You know, obviously, I looked at the team sheet and, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. But, you know, I think with Origi, one of the reasons uh, fans have been so disappointed with him um, in recent history is that when he plays, he looks sometimes like he's almost coasting through games a little bit. And there was probably a worry that that could happen here, given that this was reportedly a player that we we tried to sell during the window. So maybe it wouldn't have been, you know, 100% focused. But but no, there, there was none of that. I think, um, you know, his application was really good. Enthusiastic performance from him. I think, you know, obviously the crowd recognised that, as Farrell said. And, you know, I'll be honest, I don't think it was... A performance that was high on quality in the first half. Um, it was more about the application, as I say. But then, obviously, there was that there was that moment for the for the assist, a really clever piece of play. So, yeah, encouraging from Origi. I mean, obviously, we don't want to you know get too get too excited. He has to sort of perform like that in future games to convince fans that he's you know a, a decent depth option. But yeah, certainly better than what we were seeing for, for the most part last season. Yeah, I think that's the that final point's the big one because you know I made my feelings pretty clear over the summer on Origi. I felt like it was time um, for him to move on, and that's not taken away from what he's done in the past for the club. We're all fully versed on that. We know exactly how you know good he's been in certain moments. But for me, I felt like last season we'd seen everything he had to give. But maybe I was wrong, and maybe you know last night was proof that he still can offer something. Um, and the chances are we're going to see it, I reckon, Norwich away uh, in the League Cup next week. So let's hope he can continue that sort of level. Um, just to finish off on last night, um, Joe Gomez obviously made his first his first start competitively since getting back to fitness. So I'll come to you, Favel. Um, just a general verdict on how you thought he went um, and what was a difficult night in a lot of occasions. Um, and do you think he was... Not a fault, but do you think he could have done anything better for any of the goals that we conceded? Yeah, no, I, I thought perhaps maybe if I'm being particularly critical, a little shaky, but I think otherwise quite solid for large portions of the night. Um, I actually probably I'd probably bring Trent more uh, for, for the goals. Uh, I think certainly for the uh, the first one, he's caught ball watching and doesn't sort of stick close to Rebic. Um, again, I feel like Van Dyke's in the back line. He's probably been told off for that, you know, before, before rather than after the fact, and we able to sort that out positionally. Uh, the second one, it's a bit more sort of. I feel perhaps maybe unfair, but I feel like I could have potentially tracked back to that again better. You know, you get to that point uh, where I think it's Ace Man had like five v four with Fabinho ahead of you know. Ahead of Trent, closer to the back line, the right side's utterly exposed. Um, yeah, and I, I thought he, I thought he played solidly. To be honest, I, I wouldn't. I feel like it'd be harsh to blame him for any of the goals directly. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's probably fair. I think the Trent conversation is certainly one, and um, to have more in detail on another day because we all know how much he offers going forward. And I'm not going to be one of those people that say he can't defend because that's simply not true. But He's so advanced at times that if we do lose possession, you know, he can be caught out. And that's certainly what happened yesterday. And it looked to me like 
Salah was almost told at half time to get back and almost act as a right back at times because Trent was so far advanced. Um, but as for Gomez, I think you're right to say he was a little bit shaky at times. But I think, you know, we, we've seen Van Dijk come back and be so composed. But he almost had, I don't want to say an easy route back into it because he didn't, but he had Norwich away and then Burnley at home. And he could almost allow himself time to get back into the rhythm of competitive football. But Gomez last night, in his defence, was thrown into, we've already touched upon this, the magnitude of the game. And it was it was a bit of a cauldron at times, in a positive way from a Liverpool sense, because obviously it was at Anfield. But it was some game to get thrown back into in your first start. Um, Dave, I'll get your verdict on Gomez. And you've kind of already alluded to Van Dijk's inclusion in big games and do you think last night proved that Van Dijk has to start those sort of games? It's a good point you make about the you know the difficulty and the of the occasion really I think on the whole it was you know it was a pretty good performance from Gomez um, I'm glad Farrell you know said it was Trent who probably could have done more for the first goal I agree I think when you watch it back he does seem to slightly jog back into position, almost like, oh well, I'm I'm up the pitch, you know, I I can't really get back. But you look at it and think, you know, maybe he could have done more to, to get to Rebic, really. And yeah, I don't really see um, a huge amount he could have done better. I think people were saying, you know, he did kind of lose Rebic for the goal. Who, you know, his movement was was quite clever to to kind of elude Gomez there. But you know, other than that, I think he he was actually the one who was cutting out some of the more dangerous attacks and at the end of the game was able to to swat Giroud, who I think we were all a bit nervous when we saw him coming on. He's scored quite a few against us in the past. So so yeah, I thought it was a pretty encouraging return. Um I think both he and Matt Tip, whilst neither particularly covered themselves in glory for that spell at the end of the first half, you know, they were very good for for the most part in the game. So you know having said that it's it's clear that clear to me that we need Van Dijk's presence in the vast majority of Premier League games um, and and in the Champions League, to be honest, just because, you know, he does bring that that organisation and elevates the, the defence as well with kind of his intangible attributes. And I understand the rotation argument, but in, in the past, we haven't really seen Van Dijk rotated except in, in cup games. And I think there's there's a good reason for that. And I like to think Klopp will have seen it yesterday and, and thought that that yeah, it was maybe a, too much of a gamble not to, not to play him. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I think obviously, you know, in hindsight, we can go. We got the three points. It wasn't as comfortable as maybe it should have been. But you know, the rotation's obviously half work, I suppose, if you like. We kind of got away with it potentially a little bit, but. Now I can sit here and say I'm quite glad Van Dijk hasn't played that 90 minutes and I'm also glad that Gomez has because I think we're going to need Joe Gomez um, as much as we're going to need Canate, um, who could be someone we come on to in this next section where we look at Crystal Palace on Saturday. Palace obviously got their first win of the season, unless I'm very much mistaken, uh, last weekend against Tottenham, 3-0. Um, very comfortable against the side who'd started well in Spurs. So they're going to be a threat, I think, Palace. Um, I want to get your thoughts on it, Farrell. Um, they've changed quite a lot. This isn't Crystal Palace under Boyd Hodgson anymore. This is Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. So before we look at the Liverpool side of things, what can we expect um, from them when you come to Anfield on Saturday, do you think? 
I think we can expect they'll be somewhat more offensive than the sort of the Roy Hodgson teams of yesteryear. You know, new manager, new players in, but you know they, they've had um, so win, two draws, a loss, I believe, and some mistaken, um, and against you know not a bad side. Again, another side in Tottenham who've had sort of a, a change in, in management, but then they've also gone to to West Ham and got a sort of a two all um, away draw. So I think sort of a mixed bag of results, but they've not been unimpressive, uh, particularly given that you know Vera's just come in. So I think they'll definitely be sort of a threat even coming coming to uh, to Anfield. Uh, play four through three as well. So it, you know, as I said, I don't think it's going to be a case of them sort of wanting to sort of sit back and soak up pressure just for ninety minutes and hope to to bag a goal through a counter attack. You know, I think there'll be a bit more sort of um, drive to their game. Um, not not to the point of insanity, of course, because you know you've got to bear in mind you're coming up against a, a Jurgen Klopp Liverpool side, so there has to be some element of caution, I think. Um, I, I mean, I must confess, I've not actually watched um, Palace's win against Tottenham. So, um, but I, I'd, I'd be surprised if there's any sort of major sort of tactical changes. You know, given he was brave enough to sort of play that way, sort of against Tottenham. Yeah, I'd imagine he'd, he'd have some elements of consistency when facing us at Anfield. Um, again, you know, you can't you can't really underestimate them. They've got some sort of quality players there. You know, we're all very familiar with uh, Wilfred Sahar. Uh, you've got um, Eduard, who's come from Celtic, you know, bagged two goals, the win against Tottenham late in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gallagher is also performing well, you know, two goals against West Ham. I think they also grabbed an assist against Tottenham. So, you know, they, they have threats there throughout the squad, and, they, you know, we shouldn't take them lightly, but, you know, this is this is Liverpool, you know, realistically, if we're on our day, Van Dijk back in the side, as I'd expect him to be, I think, you know, we should have obviously more than enough in the back to sort of get past the tie with flying colours. Yeah, you, you certainly like to think so. And as I always say, when it comes up to these sort of fixtures, I think sides like Palace, I'll say a mid-table side, and that's what I believe they'll be at the end of the season, who come and play football and want to play football the right way, always fill me with bags of confidence because it's the other side, you like to Burnley's and, you know, your palaces in the past that come to Anfield and sit back and banks of four, five, etc. Um, sometimes ten in Burnley's case, um, make it difficult for us. They're the side we struggle to break down. But if the ever does want to come and play on the back of that three 0 win, then I think that's great news for us. Um, Dave, I get your thoughts just generally on the game, um, and also Farrell mentioned Van Dijk coming straight back in. Um, I get your team, um, and I imagine that's something you'll echo. Yeah, um, just on Palace, I, I watched the uh, the Spurs game uh, last week. I honestly thought that for you know a decent chunk of that game, maybe until the red card, that Palace weren't actually playing brilliantly. I think it was mostly the case that Tottenham were just dreadful, to be honest, and Palace weren't really stringing together too many dangerous attacks, but. They were, you know, pretty electric uh, towards the end of the game. I think they have a lot of really, you know, talented, dangerous attacking players. Like, obviously, Gallagher's been mentioned already. Sahar, um, Elise might uh, play a bigger role in this game as well. Um, and then Edouard as well. Obviously, got the, the two goals. Whether they'll, you know, open up against us, I'm, I'm sceptical because even though they are more progressive, I think, 
there is going to be an element of naturally being forced back in a game like this and you know quickly realizing that you can't be too too aggressive um you know i didn't watch the game against chelsea but that would probably be the indicator of how how they're going to approach it really even if that was the very first game they played um my lineup though i think because we have the norwich game in midweek it's a, that game is effectively an opportunity to make 11 changes so i'd look at it as we can probably go with pretty much our strongest team here um in the knowledge that all of those players you know can have you know a week off now effectively between the games so yeah i've gone with van dyke coming back in um allison and goal um trent and robertson i think center backs i wouldn't mind i really don't mind who his partner is here I think if Ben Teke plays from the start, you'd probably want Matip in there. But if it's Edward, which I think it will be, then I think any of them um, will kind of fancy themselves in that battle. Um, to be honest, my expectation would be that Canate plays against Norwich, um, seeing as Klopp likes to ease in his signings. Uh, but we'll see about that. I think there will be one or two surprises with the team as sort of a post-Champions uh, League rotation, really. But yeah, on the theme of being the strongest side, I've gone with the Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago midfield and Salah, Jotamane. Yeah, I wouldn't be looking at Ariki or Minamino in the team for this one. I'd be looking at Norwich for them. I would have started uh, Elliot. Had, obviously, had he been first, I think it would have been a another decent uh, game for him and, and his abilities. But, but yeah, unfortunately, we're going to have to get used to, to going without those for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, yeah, very good point. Um, and hopefully that's not too long. Um, I know we've seen some positive news this week on that injury. Um, and hopefully, like I say, he can be back well in advance at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I'll come straight to you, Farrell. Um, do you go with the same team as Dave, or do you have any alterations on that? Yeah, and no, I, I was in two minds about this just because of the, the closeness of the, the two games. But then, obviously, Dave's rightly pointed out, you know, we've got, you know, we're in the cup. Right after that, so it's sort of a, a perfect opportunity to rotate. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd large. I was considering whether he might rest Matip because I think a few of us were quite surprised that you know obviously Van Dijk was the one chosen to be stuck on the yeah, sidelines, yeah. particularly given uh, Matip's uh, injury record. But uh, I, I reckon it'll be a largely sort of unchanged eleven. I think Van Dijk sort of back on the side. Um, I've, I've toyed with the idea of Jones coming in potentially for Fabinho, but um, I, I think Cop will just be tempted just to play his his best midfield, having you know rested Thiago obviously already. I think Henderson's sort of come back into the side. I think there'll be that sort of temptation to play that sort of um, perceived best midfield trio. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so I think it'll be our, our strongest side uh, against Palace prior to major changes for Norwich. Yeah, that, that Norwich game really came into my thinking, to be honest with you. I wrote Curtis Jones down in the starting eleven before kind of member we had Norwich, which is a perfect opportunity to play him and many others. Um, the only change I've got from that is hey, I've got Canate starting um, for Matty for all the reasons we've just spoke about, to be honest. Um, and I also really want to see him for the start. But yeah, I think... Just Mathis played a lot of football recently for someone who was injured for a large portion of last season, the back end of last season, um, and for someone who, as we know, unfortunately, 
has a, a pretty treacherous injury record. But yeah, listen, we're all pretty much on the same wavelength there. It's funny, this must be the God knows how many weeks we've mentioned our strongest 11. I wanted to see it, Dave, and we still haven't. So this could be the weekend. Um, but yeah, I'll come, I'll come to you, Dave, for a score prediction because I know you've probably got the scores and you're probably desperate to tell us how you're getting on. Well, do you know what? Um, I checked and we all... It, it was kind of one point all round last week um, because right. I went I went for 3-1, you went for 2-1 and our guest Gags went for 2-0. So um, under the rules, that's just one point for getting the, the outcome of the game right. Um, so it's kind of as you were in the uh, in the predictions table, I suppose. In terms of one for this game, I think I kind of fancy Palace to, to potentially get a goal um, given the attack and talents that I mentioned and especially if, you know, if Gomez or, or Konate comes in, then maybe they're, you know, if you're Palace, you're looking at kind of the, the right-hand side of our defence um, as, as a slight weak point. If it's Gomez and then Konate might, you know, have a little, little bit of a adjustment time. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if they if they got a goal, but I think we will we will prove too strong for them and score, and score three or four ourselves. So uh, I'll go with uh, 3-1 again like I did last week. Okay, interesting. Like that, your um, your positivity is definitely increasing as the weeks go by. Uh, must be doing something right because we've um, actually got Fabble. a team, a team back this yes. season. Very true. Yeah, maybe I should have took that into account last season. I was predicting four 0 wins every other week. Um, Favel, I get your score prediction now. Um, um, just a little summary on the game, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. No, I've, I'm loving the positivity, I have to say. I feel so pessimistic <laughs> with my prediction. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-0 uh, purely on the basis that I think, you know, uh, if you look at the XG stats, I think we've been somewhat underperforming of late. Mm-hmm. I, I do genuinely believe that we will catch up in the long run. Um, I think we already have in the, the course of the last sort of two games. Um, but I think I think a 2-0, I think having Van Dijk back in the squad, you know, e- even if uh, Klopp does... Again, sort of surprises on puts in Canate for his start or or Gomez. Mm. I think it will be will have too much there to sort of um, counteract that threat. Um, but again, I think I think there'll be a, there'll be lots of chances, and I think we'll probably get frustrated that we didn't bag you know three or four. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go for sort of a, a safe but uh, comfortable two 0 Okay, yeah, I'm um, on the same lines as you, but going the other way with it. So I. I think we've been squandering a lot of chances, in particular last night. Um, and I think Saturday might just be the day it kind of all clicks. And that's certainly what I'm hoping. And with that 7-0 at Sellers Park in mind, I'm not going 7-0 before we get carried away. I'm going to say 4-1. I'm going to say 4-1. Oh. And I think their one will come relatively late in the game, when the game's pretty much done. Um, somewhat of a consolation goal. But yeah. I'm going to say 4-1, and this is in hope of clawing my way up the predictions league as well. If you go outlandish and you get it right, you're laughing on. It should really be double points for that sort of thing, Dave, to be honest, but I'm not going to go into that now. Um, he's he's criticising the rules. He's rattled. <laughs> it's a few weeks of that, yeah. Um, but that is all we've got time for this week. So just the obligatory chance for you, Farrell, to um, plug anything. Um, your Twitter will be in the descriptions, but yeah, plug away. Oh God, a plug! I've, oh God, I've not even prepared for this. Um, <laughs> Christ! Uh, right. Well, as the lads mentioned, um, I, I do a bit of writing on the side. Uh, it's not—it's not really football related, but yeah, if you want to check it out, feel free to. It's um, 
Thorn Grey and the City of Darkness and the Thaniel Grey and the Obsidian. I almost forgot the bloody names there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fantasy is your thing. Check it out. And uh, yeah. Good man. Good man. Dave, any final thoughts from you? Obviously, just thanks to thanks to Farrell for, for coming on. Um, I've got the uh, the analytics up here, though, just to check if there's any interesting new countries on the list. Looks oh, like... Yeah, um, it's been a while. Looks like Iran and Lithuania are making an appearance. I'm not sure if Lithuania was was mentioned previously. Um, and no. Cyprus is on there as well. So, yeah. Cyprus is like... I have been targeting Iran for some time, so I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Oh, wow. Um, you just want to say uh, thanks to Favel for myself as well, obviously. Um, lovely mention help? of XG towards... Yeah, lovely mention of XG towards the end there. Really big fan of that. But yeah, that is all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next week to look back at Palace, Norwich and the head as well. So yeah, take care of all. <laughs>